1: T.L. Talk Radio, Season 6, Episode 31. Welcome to Season 6, Episode 31 of T.L. Talk Radio. I'm Lynn Funy-Hatton.
2: And I'm Randy Zickenfuss. Today, we're speaking with Ulrich Boser about the impact artificial intelligence, particularly natural language processing, is having on the learning of writing. You might remember Ulrich from season three when we talked about his book, Learn Better. Ulrich is the founder of the Learning Agency Lab and a senior fellow at the Center for American Progress. He's the author of Learn Better, a book that examines the new science of learning and was listed as Amazon's best science book of the year. Ulrich has served as an advisor to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, the Hillary Clinton presidential campaign, and the Charles Butt Foundation. He has also been a contributing editor for U.S. News and World Report and a reporter for Education Week. His work has been featured in many outlets, including The Tonight Show with Jay Leno and the front page of USA Today. He's also written for The New York Times, The Washington Post, The Wall Street Journal and numerous other outlets.
1: Welcome back to the podcast, Ulrich.
2: Thanks so much for having me. It's an honor
3: to be here.
1: Yeah, So we're looking forward to this conversation. This is a different topic, something we haven't shared with our listeners before. Um, So let's start our conversation with a personal story about how you became interested in this connection between um, natural language processing, and then we'll call it NLP, and writing feedback.
3: Sure. So as you guys know, there's a lot of conversation about AI and education, how artificial intelligence is going to change the future of the world, and natural language processing is a really concrete example of how it's going to change education. You asked about a personal story. I think anyone who sees students develop as writers has seen kids do something like use the exact same sentence structure five, 10, maybe 20 times in a row. I saw my own daughter doing this, starting each sentence with a because, because of this. And then the next sentence starts with because and natural language processing AI and education has all sorts of uh, liabilities, but what it's really good is at identifying patterns. And so if a student is making these types of errors, uh, it's easy for these types of tools to find them and offer corrections. Another way of thinking about it is it's like spell check on steroids. <laughs> right now, spell check identifies uh, if a name is misspelled or a basic grammar error. But these new types of tools that are coming online can find are students using good evidence? Are they using transition words? And as such, they can help reduce that incredible uh, issue for teachers, which is grading essay exams, which can be, as we know, so overwhelming.
2: So since we're talking about this idea of using the technology for feedback, let's sort of zoom to the 35,000-foot level here and talk about feedback in general. So what does research say about the importance of feedback or even research around the importance of feedback for learning writing skills more specifically?
3: What's interesting about feedback is that we know it's incredibly important for learning lots of research on that. What's also interesting is that there's a lot that we don't know about the value of feedback. So among researchers, there's this, I think, fascinating debate, should feedback be delayed or should it be immediate? And the top scholars in the field continue to fight over this. But a few things are clear, that giving feedback that is direct, so being very clear and specific, is supported by evidence. So if a student is uh, in writing, making an error around topic sentences clearly identifying seems like you don't have strong topic sentences here. This is something you uh, might want to address for future essays. is is really important, and that feedback can be very motivating if it comes from uh, someone who they value, and that can be a peer, that can be a, a teacher, but that students, when they get feedback, are are if they you know believe and are motivated in the subject, can be Uh, help them learn, help them really develop. So uh, being direct about feedback and having it come from uh, someone whose opinion that they trust and and value, whether it's a a peer or a parent are two things that the research is is very clear on.
1: Hmm. I'm just making connections to sort of um, conferencing and the importance of that and thinking about what that looks like with AI too. So sort of spinning through my head as a former English teacher. So, um, this past January, learning at the Learning Agency Lab published an article by Scott Crossley on NLP and improving teaching and learning of writing. Can you share with us a few big ideas from that article, and then we'll link it for our listeners to go back to in the show notes?
3: There are a number of tools that are have come online now that give students feedback on their writing. Most of them um, are paid for, so, or excuse me, require some payment. So, there is revision assistant, uh, criterion. These are some of these tools that give students feedback on issues like organization, evidence, word sophistication. And right now, many of them are a little bit on the, the basic side, but we've seen some good evidence that they can increase outcomes for students. And one of the reasons is they simply encourage students to write. And so often uh, teachers are afraid to assign writing tasks because it can be such a bear to uh, go through all those essays. And just having more opportunities for students to simply write, give their ideas, share their opinions can be really powerful. Mm -hmm. And what Scott argues in that piece is that AI is coming, but to a degree it's, it's already here and that these tools that can give students feedback exist um, and they can be really useful tools for teachers. One that I'd point out to that I think is just a lot of fun, especially for uh, high school teachers is the Hemingway app. It's a free app and basically it takes any sentence that you write and converts it into something that Hemingway might have written basically making the sentences shorter and more punchy. And it's just a nice way I think for students who might be thinking about uh, Hemingway in their classrooms to kind of experiment with, oh, there are some tools that can automatically convert my writing to make it more Hemingway-esque is a a nice little example of of some of these um, tools. and, And I think suggests just also what's coming down the pike. And then some of these other tools Uh, Also focused on grammar, so Quill and No Red Ink, encourage students to think about grammar, how they can improve it, also thinking about conjunctions, ways that they can make more sophisticated sentences and are are nice skill builders, especially now in, in these times of coronavirus, where we see more and more students going on online. So for more basic students thinking about some of these sites like Quill and No Red Ink, which encourage that Uh, basic kind of grammar sentence building skills. And then some of these tools like Criterion and Revision Assistant then can help with students who are writing more sophisticated essays.
2: So I'm curious, Ulrich, if you have any sense of feedback from the field on some of these tools. Um, What what I'm really curious about is it seems like educators tend to like tools that are just going to make their job more efficient. And so clearly this will do that. But there also seems to be, you know, the benefit of that feedback for the learner too. So I'm curious if you've heard of any feedback from teachers.
3: What we've heard from teachers is that some of these tools are at this point a a little bit basic for them and they would like more optionality around them. So if we're really going to encourage students to write about uh, or just free write, so are there ways to have some plagiarism checker in there? You know, if, if we're just sort of saying, you know, Tell us about what you did this summer. That classic question: mm-hmm. uh, Are students just copying and pasting from Wikipedia, or are they really just sort of saying, like, "Yeah, I spent, you know, spent time at my grandma, and I went, you know, hunting, or whatever they did during that that summer." And so, uh, the other thing that's important about these tools is that they work because they're patterns in writing. And so, if you're encouraging your students to do poems or rap, you know. AI is not gonna work very well for that because it's very hard for it to identify patterns. Uh, So if you put the transcript of our conversation here into AI, it's it's just not gonna have enough patterns to say, hey, Ulrich, you should speak a little bit more clearly. But for those argumentative (laughs) essays that we know we want students to write, write a letter to your principal or superintendent about why cell phones should be used in schools. I hope, Brandy, you haven't gotten too many of those uh, letters. It could give feedback on something like that. What evidence are you giving? How are you really making your argument? Are you taking the perspective of the superintendent who might be thinking about issues about more than you know your ability to TikTok with your friends? So you know these these tools really function on patterns, and you need that big data to make those patterns work.
1: Mm-hmm. So you've shared a couple of ideas about just teaching writing and um, the learning lab. The Learning Agency Lab also published an article very recently on how to teach writing and includes some evidence and um, some assimilation of the research and main takeaways for teaching writing and assisting learners in learning how to write. Um, Can you share a couple of ideas from that article as well?
3: Yeah, I think some of the big takeaways from that are have students write as much as possible if That is overwhelming to you as a teacher, and it's certainly uh, overwhelming for many teachers. Social media is filled with memes of teachers expressing their frustration at spending a Sunday afternoon essay uh, grading. Have students um, give peer-to-peer feedback. Finding students who can read one another's essays and critique it can be really powerful. Don't focus too much on grammar is a big takeaway of the, research literature, of course you want to make sure that students are engaged with some of those basics, but don't have it be too much of a hindrance on these surface level um, details of you know where versus which or whatever is, is confusing students, but really encouraging them to write. And then you know this is something I think many teachers are aware of, but can be really helpful providing those rubrics. So it's not that students are just writing, but they have a sense of what good writing looks like how they can compare their writing to what great writing looks like. And so providing rubrics, providing exemplars can be really powerful.
2: So I know we're talking about natural language processing, but I'm, I'm wondering if, you know, sort of extending this a little bit beyond that, what, what other areas are you seeing AI starting to sort of seep into the teaching and learning process that maybe our listeners could get a little curious about?
3: Sure. So when we think about the impact that AI can have on education, the other one that I find surprising and really fascinating is the degree to which big data can detect emotions in students, Hmm. can detect struggle. So recently there was a big data competition to figure out using a national test when students on the exam just decided to give up and screw around. And so you can tell that in keystroke clicks. And so there was a huge amount of data and analysis, they were able to find a number of robust ways to figure out when are students just basically checking out. And as we move to more online learning, this is really important, right? We know that we can figure out when school students log in, but can we use that data to figure out when they're frustrated, when they're bored, when they are going to simply need a Zoom call so that there's a little bit of face to face and using, I think that big data to figure out how we interact as humans to my mind is really fascinating because it shines a new light on what the data can do, but also a new light on ways that we can improve education in light of what we know about how important it is to be social, how important it is to recognize students' feelings about how they're learning and Mm -hmm. and what they're they're learning. So it's an interesting juxtaposition and lots of issues to think about like privacy. I mean, I don't want the computer to know how I'm feeling, except when I just bang on the the keyboard. But you know just thinking through some of these issues you know are these computers spying on us where can we kind of have that balance between recognizing what students are doing and and recognizing our need for um our rights as as individuals to uh to have privacy.
2: Yeah, I was as you were talking about the benefits of this clearly it can give us as as educators a lot more data and and insight into areas that we just didn't have before to help us make better decisions, create those conditions for better learning. But then there's that, there's the, you know, the constraint side, like, hmm, what does this cause? What new issues does this cause? And, you know, the, the whole data privacy thing, I think, is uh, in the tech world is sort of out there, been out there for, for a while. But I can see as we start to collect more data and as these computers start to learn more about us, how is that actually being used? Some interesting questions.
3: Yeah, and so there's some nice examples around con, where if you, you know, right now, currently in con, if you do seven problems in a row, it's it, wrong. I mean, something should come up and say, y- you're just making the same mistake over and over again. Let's give you some feedback on that. Uh, Looks, you know, struggle as much as we want to encourage grittiness isn't always great. And so how can we kind of identify that feedback and um, help students you know, on that fifth problem, if you're making the exact same mistake over again before they hit, you know, 10 or 12 to make sure that they're learning and not just uh, repeating the, the same thing over and over again. Mm-hmm.
1: So let's get back to NLP. Let's say I'm an English teacher listening or I'm a, um, a building principal listening or a leader saying, hmm, this sounds interesting. You know, how do I get started? How do I, How do I jump in? What does this actually look like for me as a teacher or as a principal leader saying to my English department, Here's an idea that I heard about, how might this work for us?
3: So first, some of these free tools that can help with grammar instruction, Quill and No Red Ink are really nice entries into this where they, in the same way that a tool like Khan or LearnZillion can give some of that practice for basic skills. They're similar in that grammar building complex sentences department where they help students use conjunctions like but And then if you want to go a little deeper in, the large testing companies, because they use this AI to grade tests, so those, uh, whether it's ETS or College Board, they have all this technology and they use it to evaluate exams, and they offer, in varying degrees, some tools, criterion, uh, revision assistant, um, uh, measurement incorporated, uh, has one that it's just renamed that can be helpful and and they're at varying price points. So just testing them out a little bit and seeing if they're good for uh, your students and depending on populations, English language learners and others, you're gonna wanna look for different different tools.
2: All right, Ulrich, as we wrap up, we uh, have been asking all of our guests the last couple seasons a series of questions that we call our lightning response questions. So the first question is, who is one expert our listeners should connect with to learn more about either artificial intelligence, natural language processing, or just feedback in general?
3: So we've mentioned Scott Crossley. Another person who's great on feedback is Neil Heffernan. He is an expert at WPI, Um, really smart on how to give feedback to students. They have a a math program where they're doing a lot of interesting experiments, um, including having teachers as experimenters coming on to the the platform, doing some fascinating work. So uh, Neil Heffernan would be my lightning round name (laughs) for feedback.
2: And we actually had Neil on the podcast last year, I believe. Um, I
3: thought I remembered that, but I wasn't sure if I uh, misremembered. So uh, go back (laughs) to season five. Yeah. uh, And you were the. Check out Neil Heffernan. You can, you know, skip contacting him, but hear his interesting conversation with Randy and Lynn.
2: And and you were the connector there. So thank you. Uh, Question number two If you were recommending one book to our listeners, what would it be?
3: Yeah, I mean, I wrote a book that, you know, I'm just going to engage in shameless self-promotion here and say, I think Learn Better is great, really powerful book that helps people learn. Um, And then the other book that I came across that argues something the opposite of Learn Better, my thesis is talent to a degree is overrated if we engage in better learning strategies, but I recently dug down into a book about the nature of IQ. So, is i q how powerful is it? You know it, it does seem to predict things like uh both life events uh so people who have higher i q smoke less um and also job performance and uh, I got really into the book. I thought it it also made a really powerful argument. It's short and easy read
2: so clearly, Ulrich, you've got this passion about learning and how you can help other people to, like your book says, learn better, um, and all the nuances in there. So as a learner yourself, are there any particular resources you'd like to share with our audience as to how you learn?
3: So making learning active uh, and really kind of generating your learning is, I think, uh, the most key principle that I encourage people to do. So what does that mean? This learning by doing you know, less sort of the kind of project-based learning, but really encouraging people to, to kind of generate their knowledge. So things like self-explaining, uh, free recall, brain dumps, you know, these things where you read an article and then list it back to someone else is incredibly powerful. What's pro- What's hard about this form of learning is that it encourages you or really pushes you out of your comfort zone. And... You know, while I wrote this whole book that argues for this type of learning, I recently was preparing for a, a talk and I went into a room by myself just to reread my notes. And I thought, oh, my gosh, you know, I, I, even myself, like I go to these crutches, like, um, you know, rereading my own notes again and really just encouraging people to put away the high letters. Don't reread. Don't underline. Instead, <laughs> encourage students, encourage yourself to really produce that type of learning. So if you're listening to this podcast, the best way that you can at the end, after the music is over to learn from this is to hit pause and then, you know, go to your partner, go to a student and say, Hey, I heard Randy and Lynn talk about this really interesting idea the other day. And this is it really powerful way to, uh, engage in more robust forms of, of learning.
2: All right. Thanks for all that, uh, information and those resources.
1: All right, Ulrich. last question. What's next for you? What are you working on that you'd like to share with our listeners?
3: I think we as an organization really fascinated by the science of learning and, and big data that we can do to learn about how students learn by using big platforms to better understand how students engage.
1: All right, thank you so much for sharing with us today. Ulrich in joining us. um, To learn more about Ulrich's work, you can visit some of the links in the show notes, including a link to his book and also our uh, previously recorded podcast about Learn Better. Each episode, we leave you with a question to think about with the ideas of provoking reflection and conversation. This episode's question, how might your teachers and or your learners use AI to improve the learning experience? If you've enjoyed this episode, would like to comment or check out the resources shared today, visit the show notes at tltalkradio.org and look for season six, episode 31. That's all for this episode. We'll be back next week with another conversation featuring another innovative thought leader. Thanks again, Ulrich.
2: Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye.